Welcome to the Sustainable Clinical Medicine Podcast. I am your host, Sarah Smith. I am a practicing rural family physician and the charting coach. This is the podcast for physicians and advanced practice providers who are ready to step back from the busyness of their clinical day to share ideas, question everything, and redesign their clinical day. We are redesigning clinical medicine to create sustainable clinical days and create time for our lives outside of medicine. Join us for discussions with world experts who are helping design sustainable models of clinical medicine and the physicians or clinicians who have discovered or designed sustainable models of clinical medicine for themselves. Okay, welcome back to the Sustainable Clinical Medicine Podcast. I have with me Dr. Jesse Mahoney, who is a physician coach as well. Welcome. Let me uh, let you introduce yourself. Thank you so much. So I am Jesse Mahoney, and I came to Charting Champions about a year ago to do a special session on intention setting. And so I'm delighted to be back. I run a business called Pause and Presence, where I do a ton of physician coaching. And so I'm super excited to talk about sustainability in medicine, because that's really what Pause and Presence is all about. Perfect. I love that. So can you help us understand um, how you created sustainable uh, clinical medicine for yourself? Let's start there. Yeah. So um And I will give the caveat that I'm actually not practicing clinical medicine anymore, but one of the things that we do in coaching and what I help all the people that I work with do is I don't want them to leave medicine because it's not working. I want them to make it sustainable first and decide that they could do it and that maybe they really want to do something else, or maybe they need a slightly different job. But most of the people that I work with actually end up staying in medicine, but they should make a small change or a slight tweak. And what I found for myself in my own journey, I actually found coaching probably about six years ago now. And at the um, time, I was the chief of physician wellness for a big organization. And I came to coaching because my practice was not sustainable. My life was not sustainable. And it was actually a combination because my practice could be sustainable enough if my life was working really well. But when my life had some struggles, then my practice was not sustainable and it, it kind of feeds on itself. And so during that time, I um, started working with a coach and I also took up mindfulness. And I, many of you also know, I teach yoga for physicians mostly and yoga for healers, I call it. It's open to anyone, actually. Um, And the reason that I bring mindfulness into it is when we shift our neurologic system, so we upregulate our parasympathetic nervous system, we waste a lot less energy and we're more amenable to change. And this is how I... um, came to finding ways to be more sustainable in my own practice. And so um, ultimately, I have become someone who does a lot of mindfulness, teaches a lot of mindfulness, and is a yoga teacher. But when I first found it, I was simply listening to Headspace. And I actually encourage everyone I work with, I don't have any money invested in Headspace, but Headspace Calm, something simple, something easy that's accessible. And full disclosure, I was actually listening in my car while driving to work, um, which I don't advocate you meditate, but I love the Headspace guy's voice and it was relaxing to me and I was sitting in traffic. And so I was trying to just enjoy it. And the episode that I was listening to 
um, was about acceptance. And this whole episode was actually about resistance and what you were resisting and what you might not know. And so what changed my whole sustainability trajectory um, for my own practice was this episode. And he talks in the episode about all the things you're resisting in your day. And what I came to realize by the time I got to work is that I was resisting everything in my clinical day and that it was a very expensive emotionally. And I will say that I did have, you know, the background of being in yoga teacher training and already working with a coach. So this didn't just come to me just, you know, like a light bulb, but for whatever reason, I had not appreciated this. And so this, how I like to tell it is, um, I worked in a big HMO in downtown San Francisco and you would get off the freeway, all this traffic freeway, which I was also resisting. And you would come into our parking garage and you had to use your badge to get into the garage. And it was very, it was always broken. And then you had to wait for it to open and you had to drive in and physicians had to park on the sixth floor so that the patients could park anyone who worked there, actually all staff, we had to work on park at the top. And which meant we had to go around in circles with all of the people parking in the handicap parking first. And I was resisting all of them. I was resisting all the circles. And we also had this robot in the garage because people would come to the sixth floor where all the staff parked and nobody would be there all day because we would all work these long days and break into our cars. So they spent an inordinate amount of money on a robot. It was really cool actually, but it would also block traffic and, um, because I'm a pediatrician, it was also of great interest to children who were on their way to their appointments to see me. And so every time I would see this robot, I would resist his existence too, because he was making me late. He was making all of my patients late and it was ruining my day. And then after you finally parked, you had to badge the elevator to prove that you parked on the right floor and take the elevator slow. And the elevator was different than the stairs. So you had to wait there too. And then you had to cross this very dangerous intersection, which I was also resisting and going through the heavy, heavy fire doors to try to take the stairs, which are in the back hallway, you know, where they should not the most convenient place to get your exercise and then walk through the waiting room and badge in yet again to our super safe back place. So because people were stealing wallets in our clinic and And this was actually a really nice clinic, by the way. I make it sound terrible, but this is just sort of the way that medicine is. And then I would arrive and my in-basket would be full and my MA would be doing things the way she did in just the way she is. And then we would have huddles in the way that they were. And what I realized by the time I got into my offices, I was exhausted Mm -hmm. before it even started. And I was full of tension and resistance of the way things were. And what I came to realize in this, it literally was like a light bulb moment, was that this was not worth it. I was going to see all the busy patients. I was going to badge in and badge out and take the stairs. And there was going to be a robot no matter what I did. And if I stopped resisting all of these things in my day, including our schedule is done by a call center. So everything was out of my control and all of the things and the way that people were asking questions, my day would be so much better. And I was going to see every child and every family. And I was ultimately going to answer almost all the messages and deal with all the labs. And if I did it without resistance, I had zillions more energy and my attitude was better. And I think before I had done coaching and before I practiced mindfulness, I thought, well, I'm doing this for everybody else. Well, really, it's just doing it for me because nobody else knew. And this was this idea of resistance. Not one person knew I was resisting all this except for me. 
And the only person who was suffering was me. And so while, yes, it would be better not to have um, perhaps a robot and it would be nice if the parking lot worked better and the, you know, the intersection was safer and the fire door wasn't as heavy, like all of this was out of my control. And so for me personally, the thing that made my practice sustainable again, especially when this was in a moment where I had a lot else going on in my life, like it was giving up that resistance and One of the things I also like to say is that while I love acceptance, so I did accept it, but I, I teach in my coaching accept and because I don't like to radically accept. And so I can accept and not like all those things. Mm -hmm. I don't have to like them or I can accept and allow them or I can accept and hate them. That gives me a little bit of power back and I feel way better. And so for me, it might seem a strange sustainability practice, but when I let go of all that, I had just infinitely more energy and I could get back to enjoying the children in my practice and enjoying the little things that were there that I was missing because I was so exhausted and I was busy resisting. Mm, Right. Even the way you told that story made me feel tense. I (sighs) totally understand what you're talking about. So my, I guess my question is when people are not understanding, how do you just let go of being annoyed by the robot and the heavy fire doors and the fact that when you badge the door, it doesn't open every time. Like that's going to happen tomorrow, the same way it happened today, but you're having a totally different experience when nothing's changed. The robot's still there. The door still doesn't open. The fire doors are still heavy. Nothing's where it's supposed to be. The intersection is still busy, but you are having a completely different experience. Can you walk us through that? Yeah. So I think it's interesting because this is actually something I've been reflecting on uh, a lot recently, and I'm actually writing a book and it's, this is going to be part of it. So part of the reason that I was able to just let go is because literally Andy's voice was so relaxing and I was in, it was like given to me on a silver platter in a moment of relaxation. And while I was sitting in traffic, I was actually listening. It was almost was presented as a meditation, even though I wasn't meditating. And I know now through a lot of different experience, and I do a lot of retreats where I teach mindfulness and yoga and all of that, when we are in a parasympathetic relaxed state, we are much more able to rewire and change. And so I was receptive. And that's the thing. And so when you are trying to force yourself, I just need new thoughts. I'm going to not resist that robot anymore, which I had tried a few times. That doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so when you're in this space of like, well, this is very expensive and I just don't want to do that anymore. And, and for me, it was literally a decision that I was going to put myself first. Like this was actually for me. So I wasn't giving into the robot or giving into the broken system or yes, it should be changed. Like I was letting all of that be fine, but I was doing this as a gift to myself. But the key piece of that is that it's so much easier to do that when you have been working on your parasympathetic nervous system. And so I would say that it was probably just like the right milieu and the right environment, um, that in that moment I was practicing mindfulness. And to be fair, I had been doing some of it before. And so one of the things that I think is that's like the superpower for me in coaching is that when we resist or we willpower, 
it doesn't work as well. We can do it for a while. You could stop resisting for a month, Mm -hmm. but for me, it stuck for like two years. Um, Mm -hmm. And while I am actually not practicing anymore, it made my practice such that I was like, yeah, I could keep doing this for a long time. It's fine. Um, And it was actually when that was my experience, I was also able to start seeing things that I actually really wanted to do. Whereas when I was spending all this time being resisting. The other piece of that is um, something that I did want to bring up is this idea of intentions, because it also wasn't just letting go, because I find for myself and for many others, then we're in this little like limbo floaty state, and we're just not really sure what to do. And when we're in that state, the bad thoughts come back. Mm -hmm. So I had a practice of as a yoga teacher, we always set intentions. And when I did the intention setting workshop in charting champions last year, similar, And when you fill that void with, okay, my intention is um, to be peaceful or my retention, my intention is to accept, or for me, um, I'm trying to remember, I think peace was actually one of my intentions that year. Um, Every year I set a number of them, but the idea is, you know, maybe your intention is love or maybe your intention is care or exquisite care. So if I was, my intention is like, well, what would care do? It would not focus on all these terrible things. It would focus on myself and the patients or Mm -hmm. love is one of the intentions. What would love do is one of the intentions I carry everywhere. And I carry that to medicine too, because we do in many ways, love our patients. We love ourselves. We love our teams. And while it might seem a little woo to me, it's one of those like very energizing emotions. And so setting an intention to replace the resistance is really important. Mm -hmm. And that gives you like a guiding light. And it, it, this makes me think actually the guiding light. One of the other things that I like to do is to be a lighthouse and that can be an intention. So instead of being out in your little Zodiac raft, rescuing everybody and being in the boats and resisting the waves and trying to get out of the way, you can just stand there and be a lighthouse. And that is this sort of calm, peaceful. So you can also set an intention to be a thing like a tree or a lighthouse and that that can replace the resistance. And then you're not left hanging. Cause I think sometimes people think around mindfulness, I'll just practice it and everything will be fine. I find that you need the coaching to fit in there and that intention setting and um, very specific, not so much goals, but ways you want to show up. Then you can replace it in a kind way. So it's not like I'm got to get rid of that terrible thing about me. It's just navigating around and coming up in a way, maybe you want to be graceful. I would have loved to have been graceful or more graceful. Resisting is not graceful. Yeah. Yeah. I guess when you're showing up at work, um, frustrated, tired, tense from just the experience of getting in the building, you're going to be projecting that frustration and irritation to the people around you. You're taking that into the first room. Then you're trying to calm all of that down as you start to hear the first patient's story like you can see how it it truly is when you say an expense it's expensive emotionally (laughs) you can see what Desi's talking about that is expensive because it's it's wearing out your brain before you've even started the day we've already got to that yeah I hear from a lot of people too that they actually don't show it And I, I'm going to say with pride, I don't think I showed it to my patients or my staff, but the energy it took to not show it was a whole other layer of energy. Um, And so by the end of the day, it was not sustainable. Actually, probably by lunch, it was not sustainable. Well, you'll notice as you, you hit that 
more and more fatigued in your day, you're less and less likely to hold it together. Um, so it might become a little bit snappier or short tempered than you intended to be, even though you might still have a smile and it might be done a little passive aggressively. It's not truly who you wanted to be at work. Yeah. And then I think um, the other piece I just want to add to this is I was actually the chief of wellness at the time too. And so I think we often think that the wellness person is so well. And so the just um, ironicness of being the chief of wellness and resisting everything was also for me, just like a light bulb that went on. And I know that all of my colleagues were also, we had many a conversation on our team about the robot and the parking lot and how it shouldn't be this way. And I had been involved in the design of this brand new building. So I knew all about the badging and, and, you know, all of the staff were very upset and nobody, you know, the whole systems. And so the, the amount of energy that collective resistance energy <laughs> went into this parking lot, I mean, it was years in the making. Hmm. Yeah. So I think when we realized that too, and I will say that one of the things that also made it more sustainable was I shared this story with other people. I shared it with my MA who also didn't like parking on the sixth floor and also didn't like the robot. And so I think people then start to realize, wow, we're all human. And of course, this is not resonating with us. It's just a, it's funny and, and helpful at the same time. Uh, yeah. And you don't suddenly have to like the robot. You just oh, have no, to I notice. I don't like the robot even now. <laughs> your reaction to the robot was costing you your, your inner peace and your joy and your energy off the bat. One of the emotions that I've been working a lot around with physicians I work with is this idea of loving amusement. And I just thought that is actually the, in the feeling that I channel about the robot now. Cause it's funny. And he's funny. And my reaction to him, he's not even him. It's an ant. It's funny. Um, I, I think he's like R2D2 in, um, in Star Wars, which is why I think that. Um, but I, so I find it kind of amusing. Yeah. Amusing. What other ways are you helping physicians and clinicians have a different experience in medicine? So you said you kind of shared some of your own personal journey. What other things have you noticed? So, well, in the past, um, I worked in a large HMO and I worked on physician wellness and sustainability literally for 20 years. And um, so there were a lot of initiatives on along the way and things that we tried. And I think the message that, and I will say my organization was very forward thinking. They let us try a ton of amazing things. And I'm actually quite grateful for the whole experience because one of the things that's nice about organizations is they have money to try things out. And if they're willing to be creative, they really did want it to be sustainable for physicians. And I think we spend a lot of time thinking that they don't. I think that they don't know how, and they're like ginormous cruise ships. And so even if they have someone who was like me, who had great ideas, like they can only do two to 5% of the great ideas and they would love to make it all happen. But because of the way medicine is structured, it's very hard to do that. And so knowing that the system is broken and knowing that there are all of these, just everything, so many things out of our control, I think it's just really helpful to know that there are people trying and everyone is actually doing the best that they can, not that um, the best that they can in this moment. They just might not know what's better or because I think we also resist that process. So ultimately, 
I ended up um, going off on my own to do wellness on my own, because what I did realize is that within large systems like that, you can do two to 5% of what you think is the right thing. And on my own, I can do a hundred percent of what I think is the right thing. And so now I work with physicians on sustainability, um, transition, sustainability of practice. And I actually, as a pediatrician, do a lot of uh, parent and marriage and family coaching as well, because I don't believe that any of it's separate. And you can't have a sustainable career if you don't have a sustainable marriage and a sustainable parenting situation. And a lot of these same thoughts within us that cause resistance and other things um, cause us problems in our parenting and in our marriage and in our parent, elderly parent relationships. Cause I'm also in that phase. I have 80 year old parents now who um, think the way that they think. Mm-hmm. And so these tools that I came across in my own coaching that essentially saved my own sustainability, I ended up feeling that they were just so valuable. I had to go out and share them in ways where I could share them a hundred percent. And What's interesting about my story is before COVID came, I didn't know COVID was coming, but I resigned from my job a month before, not knowing, Mm -hmm. um, with this plan, not to leave clinical medicine, but to do what we call it per diem where I am. So um, uh, drop in work and do urgent care for pediatrics so that I could do this on the side because where I worked, you couldn't do two different things. Mm -hmm. Like you either had to do it all for them or do it on your own. And it turned out to be this fabulous, unexpected gift because things became so much more unsustainable is the word without a double negative that these tools were that much more needed. And so I, I, what I do now is blend all of that physician wellness knowledge and the things that I noticed worked and didn't work. And then bringing in the mindfulness training and the coach training and I actually think it takes all of it. I think we sometimes say, oh, it's this one thing or it's that one thing. But as I mentioned earlier for myself, bringing in the mindfulness shifts everything because we are much more malleable and much more open to rewiring. And then this understanding of all the ways that we were trained to think that aren't super helpful. Like we were actually trained to resist. We were trained to be, and I say this with love, but we were trained to be victims. If you think about um, calls, call shifts and words that we use, language that we use and, um, ways that we think about scheduling. And so we were trained to sacrifice. We were trained to be martyrs. We were, and all of these things are not sustainable thoughts and they're not sustainable ways to think. And so doing that rewiring of your thoughts while you're relaxed, uh, has, is just this amazing way to move forward. So, I do that with people one-on-one. I do it in small groups and I also do retreats where I do it all at once, which is absolutely the most delightful thing because you get to be in nature and practice yoga and do coaching and eat well and do all the things. So we were talking actually about a future uh, session I'm going to do in one of your groups called taking exquisite care of yourself. And that came from, that's actually one of the things that I talk about for my retreats. It's really teaching you to take exquisite care of yourself. Cause when you do, you can take care of everyone else so much better. Yeah. I've also actually shifted and I just have to share this new thought because it's really beautiful. We don't have, you know, there's this idea of putting your oxygen mask on first and the oxygen mask, by the way, is not enough to make it sustainable. Um, and I talk about that a lot. But it's also, it doesn't have to be you first. Um, and this actually came from a Canadian physician I'm working with. And it it's really just opened this whole new light bulb to me. It can be you as well. 
And I think for many of us, that is much more um, accessible because we hesitate. We feel very uncomfortable putting ourselves first. Mm-hmm. But what if it's you and the patients or you as well with of the team? Then all of a sudden, what if everyone needs exquisite care, for example? What a better world it would be. And so I think just twisting that framework can be really magical. That is, that is beautiful. I think that helps those of us who feel like it is hard to put ourselves first. That is the opposite of what we've been taught, that we will put our bladders away and stop that, you know, physiological drive because there's somebody next to see. What if we all need to use the restroom? Everyone (laughs) should get to use the restroom equally. That is much more accessible. Right. Perfect. Okay. So let's now hear your three take-home messages. So those of you out there who are trying to create a different, better, more sustainable clinical experience. Let's hear from Desi. What do you think your top three take-home messages might be? So I think the first one would be um, that we can acknowledge the system is broken, but we don't have to fix it. We can just take care of ourselves right now. And that when we do that, we will be better able to solve the problems and fix them in ways that work for us. Cause clearly letting other people fix them is not working, mm-hmm. but I think we spend a lot of energy, uh, wasting energy, trying to fix things that are out of our control. And so I think many of us feel like we want the system to be fixed and then it will be get better, but fix yourself, take care of you, take exquisite care of you. And in doing that, you will be better able to make a sustainable system, but making it sustainable for you is available to you and to prioritize that because you can't wait. Mm -hmm. So that would be the first one. I think the second one is um, to be human and not a hero um, Mm. because we are humans. And I think we were really celebrated for being a hero, but heroes hold back locomotives. They don't do sustainable work. Um, and when you are actually a human, it's hard to be a superhero. And so I think this idea of being a human, humans need rest, they need nature, they need sunlight, they need to breathe, yeah. mindfulness helps them, good food helps them. And so I think stepping out of that sort of sacrifice, martyr or hero mindset, while it's lovely, and the work we do is important, I think it has an, a hidden cost. Hmm. And then I guess the last one would be around um, intention setting and maybe setting an intention to show up specifically and whether part of that's probably going to be things you want to do less of, maybe resisting and um, being a victim and a martyr, but also things you want to do more of. Mm -hmm. I think we spend a lot of time fixing ourselves. And what I love about the intention setting is it's just like, I'm just going to navigate and do a little bit more of this. And that that can be a softer way to make change. Like we don't have to be broken and we don't have to be an improvement project. We can just navigate towards more sustainability. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you a fourth one because I always like to break rules. I'm a total rule breaker, but that would be <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be sustainable overnight. You just have to make like 1% more sustainable mm-hmm. every day. And the story I shared was an overnight epiphany for me because that's, it wasn't, it was actually a coffee epiphany in the morning, but um it doesn't have to be that way. Like sometimes we just make little change and little change and little change. And I probably didn't get the resistance totally right. Like I would notice on a future day, here I am resisting the robot again, but it's that sense that I saw it in the moment, but the change happens ever so slightly. I like that. It 
takes again away that desire to be different immediately, that perfectionist tendency of, oh, I'm doing it wrong. I have to suddenly change everything. It's like, no, just the noticing and the choosing and the stepping forward into one or two new things, that little bit of change can start to make a big difference long-term towards our goals. Yeah. My thought is actually also that we all do it differently. Mm -hmm. And so like you might have the robot epiphany on a day, or you might be someone who makes one small step each way, each change each day. And that as physicians, we were told we all do it the same. This is how physicians do it. This is how you're supposed to, but that's not actually human. Humans are different and we all do things differently. And so this is something I actually um, really came to embody in master coach training, which I just finished, which is that your way can be the right way. It's one of my favorite thoughts. And so we all look to someone else to tell us it's the right way, but what if your way is the right way for you? Yeah. Oh, I love that permission to just be right. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's, It's literally like a light bulb. You could be right. We always think, right. I could be wrong. What if I'm wrong? What if I make a mistake? Mm-hmm. What if you're right? What if your way is the right way? Yeah. It takes a lot less energy to think that. It does. It does take a lot less energy to think that. That is profound. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. We really love having you here. Tell us how we can find you. I would love to. You can find me. My coaching practice is called Pause and Presence and it's pauseandpresence.com. Or you can find me by my name, which is jessiemahoneymd.com. And it's jessie with an I-E. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on the show today. We look forward to it. Super fun. Thank you for being part of the Sustainable Clinical Medicine podcast. If you'd like to learn more or join us to help you get home with today's work done, go to chartingcoach.ca. There you'll find all the information on the premier lifetime access charting champions program that is helping physicians get home with today's work done with all the proven tools, support and community you need to create time for your life outside of medicine. We would love to see you there until next time. Thanks for listening.